um, four Sundays of looking at <clears throat> hope and peace and joy and love, um, the candles as we light them and uh, focus in on those messages. Uh, it's important for us to understand in this Advent season that those are the very qualities that we want born up in us as followers of Jesus. And so part of the theme throughout these next four Sundays is to be concentrating and focused in on how is Jesus born in me. Uh, And that's a question for each of us who are followers of Christ through this Advent season. I hope that we'll ask and begin to answer this idea of Jesus being born within us. Certainly as we are born again, we realize that we are uh, incarnated with the Holy Spirit. and We've talked about that recently, about this amazing, miraculous, yet mysterious event that happens to every believer who gives their heart over to Christ. Christ gives himself over to that believer in the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit indwells us constantly, and as the Bible tells us, he fills us. And that word fill is not like we just get filled up here to the edge, but it's a word that means we're always overflowing, that this filling is always going on, that we are bubbling over with the Spirit. And certainly in that bubbling, we manifest joy, we manifest peace, we manifest faith, and we manifest hope. And that's today's focus is hope. And a realized hope at that, because hope that is unrealized is only a wish. And for many of us, that's what hope has boiled down to. So would you pray with me as we open up the Word of the Lord and turn in Luke chapter 1. Let me read first, then we'll pray. Uh, This story of Mary's visit to Elizabeth and then this resulting song that bursts forth from Mary, as many of you know, as the Magnificat. Beginning at Luke 1, verse 39. In those days Mary arose and went with with haste to the hill country, to the town of Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And as Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in the God of my Savior, for He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is His name. His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought low the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. 
He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich He has sent away empty. And He has helped the servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy. As He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, to the offspring forever. And Mary remained with her for about three months and then returned home. Now let us pray. Lord, Your Word fulfills that longing within us that wants to know and rest in Your hope. Oh God, may our eyes be open to Your Word and the truth of it. May our ears hear and bring to life our hearts. Lord, would You forgive my sins? They are ever before the cross of Christ to be crucified. Lord, may we see Jesus and He only. In Your name we pray. Amen. This story of Mary's song and this encounter with Elizabeth is impossible to get the full meaning of in the full context without understanding where it fits in the Old Testament and the context of the Old Testament. And likewise, it's impossible for you and I to figure out the context of our own lives unless we understand the context of this event and this story within history. For us, sometimes we look at these events from Christmas and we think that these were just nice stories that popped up on the historical map. And so we celebrate them as though some 2,000 years ago an event happened and it just came up out of nowhere. And nothing could be further from a correct understanding of the Advent event of the first coming of our Lord Christ in the human form that we realize that what happened in Bethlehem was actually the fulfillment of a promise made long ago all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. And then also again in Genesis 6 and again in Genesis 11, again in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, all through the book of Exodus and every single book of the Old Testament points towards this day of the advent of Christ coming to earth. And so this is not just a blip in a historical story that we look back at and go, oh wow, all of a sudden it's Christmas time and now we can look at this. We must understand Mary and this encounter with Elizabeth within the context of all of Scripture. I want to give you an acronym or an acrostic for hope. Because many of us think that hope is like what the little boy said. Hope is wishing for something you know ain't going to happen. And unfortunately, many of us have that kind of hope. Like, I hope it's not going to snow today. Versus, I hope it's going to snow today. And the difference between the two is one ain't going to happen. And the other is I have a certain expectation that it is going to happen. And this is the difference what hope means in the Scriptures. The acrostic is this, a healthy optimism for promised expectations. A healthy optimism for promised expectations. Or maybe even in the context of what we're reading this morning, a heavenly optimism for promised expectations.
The word hope in the Greek means a certain expectation of something going to happen. That it's not a wish, that it's not a, not a, a, you know, sort of a dice throw, but there's a reality to what the hope is based upon. And so we come to the culmination of this visit with Mary coming to Elizabeth on the back end of the story of the angel Gabriel coming to Mary, this little orphan girl, and the Holy Spirit hovering over Mary to incarnate within her the birth of the Son of God, to bring into her womb the only begotten Son of the Lord. And that God would hover over Mary and the Holy Spirit, much like God hovered over all of creation that we see in Genesis. That the Lord hovered over the void, He hovered over the darkness, and in this case He hovers over Mary. And by His spoken word, He, in the same way created all of the universe, He brings into Mary the incarnation of His Son, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. And so there in Mary, she holds within her womb this amazing and miraculous and yet mysterious event of containing the second person of the Trinity in amniotic fluid. And Mary sees this, and Elizabeth sees this as a realized hope of everything that has been promised since Genesis. And it's in that context that when Elizabeth sees Mary, she says, this hope has been made certain and it is a magnificent joy of a realized hope. You see this encounter that Mary comes into Elizabeth and all of a sudden we see Elizabeth break out into song. It says that she's filled with the Holy Spirit. How is she filled with the Holy Spirit? Because she has come into the presence of the living God. And so her heart is filled with this Spirit. And what does her heart proclaim? Her heart proclaims a worship, not of Mary, but of the one who Mary carries. What is it that the Lord should come into my house? And then note what comes out of that from Elizabeth. Behold, at the sound of your greeting in my ears, the baby in my womb, which is a miraculous baby, leapt for joy. You see, when hope is realized, joy is manifested. When hope is realized, joy is manifested. And in this case, both of these women represent the way that we should react at two levels. For every believer, we have the role of Elizabeth in our hearts. She teaches us what is it like for us to be in the presence of God. Later on, the boys would say, John would say this about the relationship with Jesus. He must become greater and I must become less. And here we have Elizabeth, an older woman, pregnant first with the firstborn. And yet the younger woman comes in with the younger baby. And him, he, the older, leaps for joy in the presence of the younger And we see the connection there between Isaac and Jacob, don't we? 
where they fought in the womb. The reality is that John understands the pregnancy of Mary and the incarnation of the baby within her, and he doesn't fight, but he leaps with joy at the presence of Christ. And Mary humbles her, or Elizabeth humbles herself in the presence of Mary. And in the like manner, we too, when Christ is present with us, what else could we do but leap for joy? Because as He is incarnate within us, in the same way that He was born in Mary, He is born in us spiritually. And when we realize that truth, how can we not bubble with joy? Because our hope is realized. Don't you know by Christ coming within us in the Holy Spirit, don't you know that that is the realization of every hope that you have? It turns everything that once was just a wish into a certain reality. Because at the root of everything that you wish for, everything that you and I think will think that satisfies us, finds its ultimate fulfillment in Christ. Sometimes, I think that a big fat check would satisfy me. You do too. Sometimes I think turkey sandwiches will satisfy me. But like turkey sandwiches and money and cars and power and employment and uh, relationships and every other thing that you can think about, they all continue to fade away and I crave it more and more and more because at the root of it, there's nothing in the flesh, there's nothing in this world, there's nothing created that could ever satisfy me because my longing is for a hope that is certain. My hope is in Christ. And because Christ has come in me, that hope is realized and I can have joy. In fact, without that realization of that hope within my heart, there is no joy. So that even as we face the hardest things in life, even as we face the grave, there can be a centrality of joy within our heart because Christ is always remaining there within us. And so we learn from Elizabeth the dynamics of the relationship that we are to have with Christ. We learn from her. We are to leap for joy. We are to sing for joy. We are to humble ourselves before Him. And then Mary teaches us in her song as we look more of the reason for those dynamics, the reflection of those dynamics. She says this in verse 46, Mary said, And my soul magnifies the Lord. Literally, my soul enlarges the Lord. Because this hope is realized in, in Mary, she sees you have promised Abraham, you promised our forefathers, I'm looking back, God, at all that you've done, and in that I want to magnify you, I want to enlarge you, oh God. Is that the theme of your life? It is the dynamic that we learn from Mary. It is, the, is what we should learn and be taught from Mary. 
do we sing, O Lord, I magnify You. Lord, because You have given me my joy. Lord, because You have done great things in my life. I have no option but to enlarge Your name among the people. Is that your goal this Advent season, this this Christmas season, is your goal to magnify the Lord? To enlarge Him. Not just His name among the people, but to enlarge His territory. To expand His love. To spread His grace. To show His mercy. You must understand your role and my role in the context of this story of Elizabeth and Mary. That in the same way that the Lord fulfills hope within us, we humble ourselves and yet we are to sing freely and gladly about the joy that we have and the hope that we have so that we might enlarge the Lord You see, the magnificent joy of a realized hope brings us to this point. I want you to also see the humbling nature of a realized hope, though. Mary now looks at what God has done with His power in verses 51. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. And he has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. You see, in in many ways, Mary is saying, those who look to the world and the power of the world and the resources of the world will walk away empty. If your hope is in the things of power, the things of men, you will walk away from it empty-handed. It will be like eating cotton candy. There will be a moment of sweetness and then it just dissipates away with empty calories and no nourishment. Nothing to build you, nothing to sustain you, only rotten teeth. Finally, when we eat too much of it, we vomit. But how in our culture is that the craving of every heart in our culture that says, Oh God, forget the meat. Give me some cotton candy now. God, satisfy my sweet tooth. Don't nourish me. But Mary doesn't point to that. Mary points to all those things that God has done so that He can nourish His people. So that His people would understand that they really are the kings and the queens, the princes and the princesses of eternity. Not just for a short period of time, in a place that's rusting and falling away and decaying. But in this, Mary shows humility. 
She admits, I'm of the poor. I am, though, I am that of a humble person. I am that of humble means. I am poor without God. Our culture wants us to believe we are rich without God. That in fact, if we have God, there's no way we can be rich. That those who trust only in their Lord will go through this life lacking all sorts of good things. That those who have committed their future into the hands of the living God will not be fulfilled. And Mary says that's so untrue. That's so untrue because what God is going to do is He's going to destroy all that is of this earth to rebuild it anew and refreshed. And those who are His will rule over it. And it begs us the question this morning, In the context of my own life, in the context of your life, in the context of this church, are you living for now? Are you living in the context of where you fit in redemptive history for there? I heard this morning that the heat may not be working in the building this morning. Air conditioner may not work this summer, by the way. Some of you will get a flat tire on the way to church. Some of you may have to walk. And the day may come where you may have to cross through armed guards to get into the front door. And the day may come where those guards literally click down the door and come and threaten your life. Where will your hope be in that moment? Would you tell the guards at that moment, listen, I'm driving a Lexus. Put your gun away. Sounds silly, doesn't it? Do you know who my wife is? You hurt me. She's going to. You have any idea how much money I have? Why would you want to hurt me? I have a lot of money. I can pay you off. But that's our security right now, isn't it? Because there's no persecution. There's no, there's no Romans at the door. But here in Mary's world, there's Romans. Here in Mary's world, there's oppression. Here in Mary's world, there's persecution. Here in Mary's world, there's literally people dying because of what they believe. And yet here in Mary's world, Mary stands up and sings, My God's more powerful than Rome. My God's more powerful than the spear. My God's more powerful than anything else on this earth. And that's where my hope is realized. 
And because of that, I am humbled to be His. I am filled with joy because He has realized His hope within me. And that joy humbles me that in all of eternity He would come and hover over me and have His Son born within me. Beloved, that's the exact same thing that happened to you when God brought you to life out of the death of your sin. He came over you and incarnated you with His Son. To be born again with a hope that brings you joy. To have a nature that is humble in realizing God is more powerful than those who have power over you. And in that we're satisfied. Mary goes on to say this hope brings us contentment and satisfaction. She says, look at God's mercy here. 53, He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich He has sent away empty. He's filled the hungry with good things. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy. As He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. You see, you can't understand Mary's song out of the context of the Old Testament. Mary is living a life based upon the history that she knows. That God promised to show mercy by sending His Son. And because of that, because of that mercy, she is satisfied in knowing the Son is realized in her. And in that she finds good things. Does Jesus represent good things to you? What do we learn from this? What are the lessons? The lessons are this. You remember in the beginning I told you we must stay in the context of understanding our lives. We cannot truly understand where we are in the context of biblical history without understanding where Mary and Elizabeth were in the context of biblical history because they understood where they were in the context of biblical history. You see, God, back in Genesis and in Exodus and Leviticus and all the way through the 39 books of the Old Testament, was promising the day's going to come where I'm going to come and I, it'll be the day of the Lord and I'm going to fulfill the covenants. I'm going to fulfill all the promises. I'm going to be born in you and you will be my people. I will be your God and I will live within you and I will conquer death. And that day has happened. It's a certain day. We look back. Certainly it happened. We have an Easter every year. We remember it happened. Hope has been realized. So that here in today's world, I look back at a certain hope because He promised He's coming back again. There's a second advent to come. And I live in the context of what's coming I live in the in-between of what has happened and what's going to happen. Because God is on the move. And everything in your life and everything in my life is God pushing us towards that day. 
God is using every circumstance, every little jot, every little tittle to move His people to that day. So in that day that our hope is realized even more, in your brokenness, in your loneliness, in your hurt, in all the struggles, in the places where you and I go, in the doctor's office, in the boss's office, wherever it is that we find ourselves, realize this, your hope is not in that circumstance. But your hope is in the one who controls the circumstances, who's using it to drive you to that day. So that you might sing with Mary. My soul magnifies the Lord in the boss's office. My soul enlarges God in this circumstance. My soul magnifies His name even over at the funeral home. Because my hope is realized in that day. And God is on the move to move everything towards that day because you and I are living in a time of separation from hopefulness, from the hopelessness. We are being called out of the world. Cold like cattle. Cold out. Also called out. But God's people are being brought out from the world. If you don't understand that, then you don't understand the context in which you and I are living in biblical history. We're being pulled out from the world and the separation is happening. And the more we see that separation happening, the more anxiety, the more conflict there's going to be between that world and our world. The more persecution will come from that world to our world because we're pulling out away from it. Because that world realizes as we pull out, death is magnified in them and life is magnified in us. In the same way that Mary lived in a world of Roman occupation and she realized that God was calling her out of that Roman occupation to live occupied by Christ. We are called out of the occupation of sin and materialism and paganism and humanism. We're being pulled out of that to live under the context of Christ. Because that is realized, this will be realized even more. Because I am filled here, I will be fulfilled even more here. Doesn't it make you want to sing? Doesn't it make you want to sing? That God has you. Not only does He have you, He's within you. And not only is He within you, but He's got purpose for you. And He's bringing purpose to every tear, every laughter, everything that's happening in your life, which will be fulfilled in the day that He gets you home. Doesn't that make you want to sing? Doesn't that fill you with hope? Or do you just want to be a sitter? Maybe hum? 
see what Mary says. He has remembered His mercy and He has done great things. He's doing great things for you, within you. You see, hope is a heavenly optimism for promised expectations. Are you hoping for that day because you don't believe that day is really going to come and it's nothing more than a wish? Or do you hope for that day to come today? Let's pray. Lord, as we come before this meal, we see this meal as only a picture, a sign, a symbol, and a seal of that which is to come. That even as we partake in this communion meal, O God, we realize it represents something much larger. And even though in some ways, God, it fulfills us spiritually, it sustains us, it it helps us to be strengthened, it helps us to have our faith bolstered up, we realize, oh God, that it's representing though something much larger. It's in the context of the great banquet yet to come. That certainly these are only morsels and meant to be so, O Christ, because of the heavenly fare that we will celebrate with You in that day. Oh, Jesus, You are our hope. Oh, Jesus, You make me want to sing. Glory be to Thy name, O God. Magnify Thy name, O Christ. For Your name's sake we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. This is the Lord's table. It's not East Glenville's table. All who call upon the name of the Lord are invited to partake. Parents, we ask that if your children do not understand the significance of this meal, that you would use it as a teaching time. Withhold it from them, but teach them. But if your children do understand,